You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. How can South Asia get cleaner air? Many of the world's most polluted cities are in South Asia, and these countries have been trying to battle air pollution for years. How is it going? In South Asia Initiative's podcast, Climate Lens South Asia, we look closer to the current situation. Air pollution is a complex issue that doesn't have a simple solution. All of the countries in the region have tried, but yet failed to permanently improve the air quality. We've talked to several experts about the way forward and how to work on this issue together. My name is Julia Vrius, and with me today I have Hanna Gishevsky from SASNET, Swedish South Asian Studies Network. Welcome. Hi. You have lived in Nepal. What's your experience on air pollution and how the battle has gone on there? I would say that um, while I was living in Kathmandu specifically, air pollution was definitely a daily companion. I mean, it's of course very different in other more rural parts of the country, but Kathmandu, I just checked a few days ago, is currently listed as the seventh most polluted city in the world. So it is a very serious issue there. Um, And I guess most people who've spent some time in Kathmandu in the past 10, 10, 15, 20 years remember days where the entire city was just covered under thick smog. And, you know, even when the weather is clear, you would only see this amazing panorama of the snow-covered Himalayan mountains behind this thick grey-yellow smog filter. But yeah, I think it's important to mention here that it's not all the same kind of pollution and like there are different types. Firstly, what is Earned Kathmandu, its uh, infamous nickname of Dustmandu is mainly, as the name already suggests, the very visible kind of pollution in the form of dust and sand. And that mostly stems from construction work and from unpaved roads. And there is so much construction going on all the time because Kathmandu is one of the fastest growing cities in South Asia. So that type of pollution is really something that you're confronted with every day. Just spending a few hours outside, you know, going from A to B. I'd usually take motorbike taxis or my own scooter. Uh, in the end of the day, when you wipe your face with a tissue or something, it's like taking off a thick layer of makeup, uh, just that it's dirt. But that, that dust is only one side of the problem. The other um, also extremely dangerous aspect is the more invisible type of pollution in the form of um, PM 2.5 and PM 10. And PM uh, stands for particulate matter. And PM 2.5, for example, describes particles with a diameter of less than 2.5 micrometers, so extremely small. And those are the particles that travel really deep into our lungs and lead to very long-term diseases like lung cancer and cardiovascular um, conditions. Uh, That sounds really horrendous. And uh, dirty air is is a huge problem in the whole region. And uh, in India, it leads to death for 1.6 million people, according to State of Global Air report. Delhi is one of the most polluted cities in the world. Let's listen to what some regular people on the street says about it. I have cancelled my jogging, exercising. All the exercises have been uh, denied by this pollution. So I think it's very, it's affect my life. Pollution is the issue more definitely affect In the long run, Corona maybe may stay for a year or two, but pollution is a much bigger problem. It's not solved now. It will, it will only 
uh, get worse with time. A lot has been done uh, in Delhi and elsewhere in India and in Asia to fight air pollution. I spoke to Anamita Roy Chaudhary, Executive Director at Center for Science and Environment in Delhi. This is the time of the year as I'm looking out of the window and just the onset of winter. This is when the sky in Delhi begins to turn gray and that's exactly what is happening right now. The levels are already higher, much higher than the permissible limit but also in rising steadily. And I must tell you this, what winter means in Delhi and the entire Indo-Gangetic plain of India. Winter means that this is the time when the weather is going to become very calm. The wind's going to go away. There won't be any wind in the city to blow away the pollution. And with cold temperature, winter inversion, What's going to happen is that the air is going to get trapped very close to the ground level. And whatever pollution that is happening inside the city will also get trapped. And that's the reason why we see this. It's the levels just go out of control. And we see this massive smog episodes building up. So that's what we are um, waiting to see that what's going to happen this winter. And as you know, Julia, that this winter we are particularly worried because not only because what winter is going to do to air pollution, but also the COVID pandemic around. So clearly it's a challenge that we are kind of thinking about right now. Delhi is one of the most polluted cities in the world. How has the air pollution affected the city? The reason why we are discussing air pollution is what is doing to our health. Since 2010, deaths related to particulate matter has increased by about 61%, and air pollution is one of the largest killers in the country. But even more worrying data that has come from that report is that of the total number of infants, the newborn baby, within 27 days of their birth that die globally, about 24% highest die in India alone. Now, just imagine, not only that we have messed up our own health, but we have also compromised the health of the future generation. And if you look more locally in Delhi, for instance, there are studies to show that every third child in Delhi has impaired lungs. And children growing up in the polluted environment are growing up with smaller lungs. I mean, that's the kind of evidences we have. And and we often like to show people that You know, the doctors, when they talk to us, they tell us that uh, when they do open heart surgery, the cardiologist, they say that by looking at the color of the lung, they can say whether the patient is from Delhi or outside. And they have shared these pictures with us that shows the black patches on the lungs. That happens because of the long-term exposure to toxic pollution. So that's the price that we are paying for the polluted air. And that's why we call air pollution a health emergency today. You've been working on this issue for how many years? Have you been working in the field of air pollution in India? I think nearly 20 years now. So quite a bit. And that's why I have seen how this narrative has changed over a period of time. You know, now today, you know, everyone in Delhi or in India, there's so much conversation, public conversation today on air pollution. But when we had started about 20 years ago, it was just not part of any conversation. Forget about 
political or policy conversation. So one really have to mobilize and leverage a lot of available instruments, for instance, public interest litigation in the court, media conversation, public engagement, all of that as a lever to bring about change. And that's a very interesting story unfolding in Delhi, because you need to understand Delhi's story is not about that Delhi is not doing anything about air pollution. Delhi's story is about that Delhi is battling air pollution, taking steps and yet failing, and yet uh, running to catch up with the problem and the solutions. And that's the story we really need to understand well if we want to have the right template for action for the rest of the country. You're saying that uh, Delhi has been trying to battle the air pollution for years and years and years. And could you uh, guide me through it? What all measurements has been implemented already and uh, how has it worked? So imagine this city which has moved its entire public transport to natural gas. So it has moved away from diesel to natural gas. At the same time, they have banned 10-year-old diesel vehicles, 15-year-old petrol vehicles. There is a restriction on trucks that enter Delhi and 10-year-old trucks are not allowed to come inside Delhi. And each and every truck that comes inside Delhi, they have to pay an environment pollution charge to enter Delhi daily. That's one. Second part of the story is that Delhi has also, along with the rest of the country, moved to the Euro 6 emission standards and introduced the cleanest fuel for transportation sector, that is a 10 ppm sulfur fuel. Delhi is the only city in the country to have shut down all its coal power plants. So there is no coal power generation happening inside the city. Along with that, Delhi has notified the clean fuel policy, which has banned all dirty fuels inside the city. Even coal cannot be used in any sector in Delhi. Along with that, Delhi has expanded natural gas use in the industry sector. So all of these that I've just listed and a few more, um, these are not small measures for any city to take. You know, these are huge investments. This is a quite transformative. Now, with all of these, what has happened, we have seen a kind of a declining trend, but therefore we are saying that at least the overall year-on-year pollution levels are not rising anymore. But Delhi has been able to bend the pollution curve. But even after doing all of this, even after bending the pollution curve, where Delhi is today, from that baseline, Delhi still needs to reduce pollution levels by yet another 60% to meet the clean air standard. Now, just imagine if after doing all of these things, Delhi still requires even deeper cuts in emission, that how much more ambitious and how much more complex and difficult the next round of measures are going to be. Along with economic growth, we see thousands of new cars added to the roads every day. Safe waste management is also a challenge in growing cities. People and industries burn rubber and plastic in the open. Hanna Geshevsky, a key issue seems to be how to couple economic growth with less pollution. How is that going to be possible? 
I mean, I'm I'm really no economic expert, um, but I think, and here I'm again referring to Nepal because that's what I'm most familiar with, I think it's it's really crucial to change the current narrative around development and growth that has pre been prevailing for so long because it is often understood and promoted by the government in a very material sense, like bigger roads, higher buildings. Like right now, the Nepali government is planning an airport, another international airport in the south of the country that's going to lead to large-scale deforestation and displacement of, of communities. But it's justified as a game-changer for Nepal's development and prosperity. So I think as long as we stick to this rather yeah, outdated understanding of development and growth, it will be really hard to decouple that from any environmental impact such as uh, pollution. And Yeah, I think it's really important to stress the immense potential that lies in businesses and sectors that are sustainable, like electric vehicles, although there are some problems with those as well when it comes to the disposal and production of batteries and so on. But I think anyway, pushing for electric transportation is definitely a promising alternative to what's currently happening in the urban transport sector in Nepal. But yeah, instead of realizing this opportunity, it seems that the authorities they don't really realize their potential yet. For example, just last year, no, actually just this May, custom taxes for electric vehicles were increased by the Nepali government by 60%. So now they are almost unaffordable for large parts of you know the lower and middle class society. So while, as I mentioned before, there are a few promising initiatives, like more electric buses and so on there, it, it almost feels like there's one step forward and two steps back. So Overall, I think there needs to be a major shift in thinking among policymakers to really understand that decoupling is possible and that economic de development is not mutually exclusive to sustainability. Let's continue to listen to what Anumita Roy-Shauderi has to say about ambitions among politicians and regular people to really bring a change. So you may know that we have now what we call the National Clean Air Program that has, that has come into force in 2019. And that has set a target of uh, at least 20 to 30% reduction in particulate pollution by the year 2024. Now that's for the first time in India that we have heard of government setting a target for pollution reduction. And now based on that program, The cities which are polluted, they have been identified, about 122 cities have been identified in this country who are now required to implement clean air action plan to meet that target of 20 to 30% reduction by 2024. Now, but the gap is again, the weakness in the system is that we have a target, but we still do not have a framework that makes the target legally enforceable with strong compliance and a deterrence framework. So it kind of still remains pretty much voluntary, kind of, you know, we will do it together, but not that, you know, but with, without that teeth to push and ensure compliance. So that's something that we will really have to fix. Now, the question is, how can the politics around this issue change? Because at the end of the day, we all understand that it is the political will that's going to make or break it. But the, now here we have, but this is also not such a simplistic assumption. See, at one level, the, polit the politics and the political will has changed to the extent that at least India now has some quite progressive air pollution policies. 
in different sectors. We have the National Urban Transport Policy, rules and regulations for waste, tighter emission standards for power plant, for industry. These have all come in place. But the next is the last mile of implementation. And that's where the biggest barrier is right now. To change that and to change the politics around that, we certainly need very strong public awareness and public opinion so that it is very clear politically that this matters. Now, when I look at this in Delhi, I certainly see that today there is a lot more awareness, a lot more people talking about the problem, a lot of people concerned, uh, and, and, and there's a kind of a ownership uh, in the conversation, the larger community. So this is not confined only to the few NGOs or few experts or few policymakers. That's a good sign. But having said that, awareness today is working only to the extent of saying that there is a problem, which is also important. But awareness has still not grown to the level that is needed to build support for difficult solutions. Now, all the cherry picking has been done in Delhi. We have all soft options are over. Whatever we could do, uh, you know, simply and which were very straightforward, they have been implemented. But the next generation action that now needs to get implemented requires very strong public support. And here, one of the biggest barriers is going to be the lifestyle pressure. For instance, I gave you the example that if today we have to reduce our automobile dependence, if you have to reduce the usage of personal cars and two wheelers on road, then we should be prepared to pay for the true cost of owning and using our personal vehicles, pay higher parking charges, pay, pay congestion charges. But we know that the same community, if they are worried about the problem, they are not willing to extend support to this difficult action. Now that gap will have to be bridged. And that's why we feel today that is more important to have conversation and awareness around the solution so that people understand what is needed and they extend that uh, support to that. Because if they do that, that will change the politics and we will see political support for difficult action. And uh, how do you look at the future when it comes to air pollution in South Asia? You know, despite the problems, I'm always a optimist and I'm a diehard optimist. And there's a reason for this. We have been poor for a long, long time. And this is the time when we are beginning to grow and our, and our economies are expected to kind of grow in the coming decades. We have to understand that this is an opportunity for us, that we are now going to motorize and industrialize when we can have access to much better technology and fuel quality. I mean, just imagine the uh, opportunity in India today. At, in 2020, India has already moved to Euro 6 emission standards for its vehicle. And now we are talking about setting the targets for electrification. And we are saying, can by 2030, it is 30 to 40% of vehicles in India, can that be electrified? So. If we can focus on that leapfrog strategy, internalize these principles in our development policies, and keeping in mind, and I just let me give an example. Very recently, when we did a green rating uh, assessment of our steel and cement industry, what we realized that because many of our industry have been set up in the recent years and therefore built on better technology, 
Therefore, in terms of efficiency, they have actually performed better than some of the older plants in, even in Europe. So message here is that the new growth, the new development that is going to happen in India and in South Asia has a much better opportunity to follow a clean pathway. Thank you so much, Anumita Roshaudari, Executive Director at Center for Science and Environment in Delhi for being a part of Climate Lens South Asia. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Anamita Roy Shadari is a diehard optimist. She points out that the industries in India and Asia are young, and it means that some industries in India have performed better than all the similar ones in Europe. Changes can happen in India and South Asia if they adopt the right policies right away. Hannah, you have studied environmental science in South Asia, and you are working for the Swedish South Asian Studies Network. What do you say about the current situation? Yeah, I definitely agree with Anumita that um, that there is a reason to be optimistic and, you know, that not, not everything or not all is uh, lost just yet and that there's a lot of potential to, to take the right turn, so to say, into a more sustainable direction because many places are just now undergoing major urbanization and infrastructure development. Like, um, yeah, if you again look at Nepal, our focus has mostly been on Kathmandu, which was the only big city for a really long time. But now there are also other urban centers like um, Viratnagar or Janakpur in the south that ha- have gained a lot of importance. And I think in those places, I see a lot of potential to put measures in place before it's too late. Um, because, you know, developing something um, like a more efficient and sustainable public transport system or solid waste management system is definitely easier when you do it while the city is still growing and, and not afterwards. So as one example, um, the Asian Development Bank has been working with the Bidatnagar municipality in southern Nepal on a concept for an effectively managed and um, sustainable urban transport system in the city. And there are also plans by the Nepali government and the UN um, to connect um, several cities in the south of Nepal by rail and then also link it back to the Indian rail system. So I think there's there's so much that, that can be done and that is and that is currently under work. So I'm, I'm quite hopeful in that sense. But then I do agree with Anomita on another aspect. Um, it seems like the awareness is there. A lot of people are aware of the problem. You see people in places like Delhi and Kathmandu wearing face masks to protect themselves. They know about the dangers of air pollution. But I think this awareness have, has not yet sufficiently been translated into broader action um, And here I'd like to point out another difference of air pollution to COVID-19. Like with COVID, it's it's so important, like individual action is so important. Stay home, wear a mask, all these things that really every person can do. But then with air pollution, um, it's something that also needs to be addressed on a much broader and legislative um, level. Um, because just by wearing a mask, I mean, that may basically mean that it's already too late and that the air is already polluted. But for me to really choose a better way of transport instead of my motorbike, I need, you know, I need a functioning public transport system. So I think there's um, so much that is yet to be done. And I see a bit of a mismatch between the action that is necessary and what action has been taken when I look at Nepal. Sweden is also involved in the process to get cleaner air in South Asia. There are several collaborations in the field. I've spoken to Petter Jungmann, Associate Professor at Karolinska Institutet, 
He's doing research on air quality in India together with Indian scientists. I asked him why it's important to collaborate around these issues. In the end, we're all sort of uh, interdependent on each other. And, and um, there's the implications of air pollution are across boundaries. So it's not really just a national issue. It is an international issue as well. So I think that building capacity uh, in India amongst uh, researchers and creating local knowledge and, and stakeholders that really can um, bring these issues forward, uh, show, show the knowledge is, is, is vital. And uh, some, of these, uh, some of this work is, is complicated and needs a lot of uh, resources. And I think um, that's something where we can we can play a part, and um, and also we have examples of in in Europe and uh, North America. Science has actually had an, an impressive impact on air quality policy, and we are seeing the response of policymakers to this developing knowledge, and they are uh, adherent to that and. Levels have actually gone down. Some sometimes in in many of, for example, in Sweden, we have a long history and experience of working together with policy makers, so that um, we are quite responsive to each other, and we are attentive to um, what kind of knowledge would be important for policymakers and vice uh, versa. And I think this kind of um, experience and spirit of collaboration and trying to sort of get the the best public health policy we can we can give to our um, populations is something that we can also um, bring forward uh, to as examples to other countries like India. Thank you, Peter Jungman, associate professor at Karolinska Institutet in Sweden. My pleasure. Hanna Gershevsky, uh, now we've we've listened to a few. Um, few experts talking about air quality in South Asia and the challenges that we have ahead. How would you sum up uh, what we've heard? What's the way forward? I think the way forward is really to to not just put the burden on the general public, that they protect themselves from air pollution by wearing masks, by staying indoors, but also to really push for more comprehensive policy solutions. Yeah, because in the end, Air pollution cannot be solved through individual action. Thank you, Hanna Geshevsky, and thank you for listening to South Asia Initiative's special Climate Lens South Asia. And thank you to our experts. My name is Julia Vrius. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch our seminars and interviews. Catch you later.